Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan and I'm here with my co-host Gavia. Hello. This week we will be discussing the new movie Alien Covenant starring Michael Fassbender, Katherine Watterson, and various other not particularly famous actors. This is a sequel to the Alien prequel Prometheus which came out several years ago to not very much acclaim and not a huge amount of box office success in America but to more success overseas so it spawned another sequel that kind of acts as a bridge between Prometheus and the first Alien movie. Oh Morgan there's at least one or two more movies in between this and Alien because Ridley Scott will not be stopped. Oh I know it's (laughs) it what is he wants to do like five total I think I think he may have been talked down, but it's one of these Avatar things where he just keeps telling the press he's going to make dozens and dozens and people are just like, please let us out of our misery. <laughs> yeah, so, but you, anyway, the the plot sort of begins to make that connection, whereas Prometheus is more just in the same universe, but not particularly connected. And conceptually, wildly different. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> So I only saw Alien for the first time mere days ago, two days Which is fucking before. wild to me, because I guess I was operating under the automatic assumption that you'd seen Alien before you saw Prometheus, and now it makes slightly more sense to me that you quite liked Prometheus. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I did not think it was good. <laughs> and actually watching it, I rewatched it last week too before um, going to see this because I didn't really remember the plot which makes sense because there is none. And I found it perfectly watchable. It's just dumb. Which, you know, that's fine. It's a very bad movie. But I was not miserable watching it. Largely because <laughs> Michael Fassbender is so good in it. He is fantastic playing the robot David. A role that he reprises in this film as well as playing another robot, Walter. It's quite remarkable. Would you like to give a little bit of a summary of what happens in the film? I can. Okay. So in the last film, I think I need to give like a slight preamble. Yes. So the last film was, you know, this uh, research group, you know, like a spaceship go to a place and find an alien, which is the premise of like every alien movie. Um, and the main character was played by Numi Rapace of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movies, who's great. And obviously she is the person who survives while all of her teammates get horribly murdered. But the other main character was the android David, played by Michael Fassbender, who was very clearly like a creepy murder droid, you know. There was clearly something going on with him because it was that kind of role. Um, and as the film progresses, you realise that he's actually been kind of left there as a plant. And um, he was created by this billionaire tech industrialist guy, played by Guy Pierce, whose name is um, something or other Wayland, who wants to find out the meaning of life. So he thinks that all the planets were like seeded by ancient aliens in the classic conspiracy theory method. Um, so he sent David out there to find out more and he wants to like become immortal. So it's like, if there's a lot of uh, themes going on here. I would not say they were coherent. Um, <laughs> but to cut a long story short, the film ends with um, after David has facilitated the spread of the alien across the crew, the two survivors are Numi Rapace's character and 
David's decapitated robot head who fly <laughs> off into the sunset at the end of the film. Um, which was truly wild on many levels. There was also like an abortion narrative in there, which was very poorly handled. But um, the sequel is about a new crew of characters who basically is the premise of the unbearably terrible movie Passengers. There is this huge vessel of uh, adult colonists and uh, fetuses that are being sent to this faraway planet so they can start a new colony. And the main characters are the people who actually crew the ship. So while they're all in cryosleep, um, another Fassbender android named Walter kind of takes care of the ship. And when they go through a similar kind of catastrophic event to the movie Passengers, um, the crew are woken up and they have to sort of deal with everything. So Catherine Watterson plays the first officer after the captain and the captain is played by Billy Crudup, who's this sort of panicked guy who is a very poor leader so you're already off on the wrong foot and because everyone's really stressed out about the possibility of going back into their pods and having another disaster they decide to land on a nearby habitable planet in case they can just have the colony there instead of going through the rest of the uh, like years-long space mission they land it's this surprisingly earth-like planet it's got like earth-like plants and stuff so you're like oh what if this planet was seeded by ancient aliens just like ridley scott is so determined to tell us but of course it turns out that what the, the planet is actually seeded with is xenomorphs from the alien franchise which none of us could have predicted um, <laughs> and one by one the extremely generic supporting cast are picked off um, and as they die we find out which ones are married to each other because they're all married couples because it's a colony <laughs> and it's like oh I'm meant to really care about these people now I know that someone's wife is dead but you've not been introduced to any of them so it's like really poorly written and you find out that one couple is the gay couple only after one of them has been murdered and it's like fantastic well done Hollywood great representation <laughs> <laughs> but um the actually good part of this movie is Fassbender so uh, there was kind of a 70-30 split between this very generic kind of alien ripoff storyline with the colonists being murdered and the other 30% is like a double fast bender thing so they when they reach the planet they discover that david the previously decapitated but now embodied android from the last movie has been living there for 10 years in like the ruins of this alien civilization not only is he living that goth life, he is wearing a cape which he must have fashioned for himself, possibly from like <laughs> self-woven fabric. And his hair has grown, so he's got like long dyed blonde hair because this android model's hair is naturally brown, like Michael Fassbender. But at the beginning of Prometheus, you see him dyeing it blonde because he wants to look like Lawrence of Arabia from the movie. So he's continued to dye his straggly blonde hair. So now he looks, sounds, and behaves like Riff Raff the butler from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> and he says things like, welcome to my dire necropolis. That's not and the exact not. quote. What is the exact quote, Morgan? I believe what he says exactly is, make yourselves at home as much as is possible in this dire necropolis. That is better. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? What? <laughs> yeah so, i was like, as the stuff kind of happens to all the crew in the background the two fassbenders are having some kind of like like a homoerotic duel <laughs> just for like the latter half of the movie and their performances are so intense it's a lot Ooh, it is yes. a lot it was really this is one of those movies that you need the right audience to see it with because i was alone no one would come with me to this film, which I found very upsetting. And there were around 10 other people at my screening. And I was in 
stitches laughing, like practically doubled over. And it no was one so else was so hard for me to restrain myself. Because I was in the press screening and like there were a couple of laughs from other people, but not at the parts I wanted to be laughing at. <laughs> right. And so I couldn't make any noise because everyone else was sitting there silently. And so I was having to hold it in while truly losing it. I mean, the dire necropolis line, <laughs> I laughed when he said it and then I just kept laughing <laughs> after the scene had shifted. Like, I could not control myself. It was too much <laughs> i oh my word yes it's just hysterical because it's like it is he does talk like a victorian novel character and it's written it's co-written by the guy who wrote penny dreadful so it's like i think i know where he came in <laughs> there is a plot point that revolves around the author of the poem ozymandias <laughs> i mean sure which okay. they recite while very pointedly looking over the ruins of an alien civilization. The two, the two fastbenders, <laughs> one of whom is wearing like a Capri pants length cat suit, which is what he, what David wears under his cape. So it's like, there's just a lot going on here. And all of it is incredible. The vibe I got watching the movie was that Fastbender was kind of in on it. Hmm. I think he knew what he was doing. Oh, no, of course. Like, yeah. There's no way you give that kind of performance accidentally. Which... Because it's not like he's like a kind of inveterate scenery chewer, you know. He has no. levels. Right. And he was giving it, like, I would say, like, about quintuple the level of his X-Men Magneto performance. It was just, like, <laughs> so over the top compared to all the other actors who are just, like, in a generic action blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, which puts it in a strange place of being both inadvertently and vertently funny, right? Because it's not... They're definitely not trying to be humorous. Right. But it is, like, hysterically funny in, like, a, a campy way. Like, because it's just... That is really the only word I can use to describe it. It's right. It's like Phantom of the Opera. It's definitely campy. And yet he seems to be deliberately playing campy. And so it's it's just... It was so weird. It's really hard to sort of pin down what it's doing. But it's, and the thing is, it's not even just his performance and the writing. Because, like, his whole arc and even, like, the scenery, like, even the sets for his work yes. are, like, so wild. It's honestly, like, two films spliced together. Because, I mean, yeah. I've watched a lot of kind of alien rip-off movies because it's a genre that I enjoy. And this was, like, just a very, you know, by-the-book type. There was nothing. It didn't bring anything interesting, like... The actual CGI aliens themselves were bad, which we'll kind of talk about later as well. But um, Fastbender's role just had like so much going on. There was so much weird sex stuff. Like, so I yeah, we should when when we post this, I'll have I'll have an article hopefully up about the sex stuff in this movie by then. But it's like to start off with, there's already a bunch of weird reproduction stuff going on with his concept because he was like the sterile superhuman android son of this like psychotic billionaire who designed him in order to find the meaning of life. So he's like immortal and he's, you know, he's, he's better than all the humans, but he's also like in this film, we find out that he's obsessed with the idea of reproduction because he's genetically engineering all these baby aliens on the planet um, the kind of breakthrough in the third act is the revelation that he is not progressing in his insane Frankenstein work because he needs human DNA. So he needs to like sample all the humans on the crew to like add them to the alien to achieve his highest goal of having like amazing xenomorph mutants. And like he's like dissected the body of Numi Rapace from the last movie. 
and he's modeled off like a really famous quite kinky gay man from history and there's like stuff going on with him and the other fastbender like what there's so much <laughs> yeah i mean there's a scene in which he to just lay it all out there there's a scene in which he teaches walter the other fastbender how to play the flute in a way that is so sexual it almost transcends subtext i could not believe what i was witnessing i was like what is what is happening here so like for further context by this point walter has lost one of his robot hands so he can only hold the flute with one hand so you've got two yes. fastbenders sitting opposite each other one of them helping to hold the other one's hand flute in his mouth and then giving him like mouth and fingering instructions really yes. intensely I believe at one point he literally says, let me do the fingering. And I thought, excuse me, what? Again, John Logan, author of The Penny Dreadful, showing his uh, work here. But it was just surreal in many ways. You could really tell that Fassbender was having the time of his life in these two roles. And... He is really, really good in both of them. Because, like, one of them, obviously David is, like, viscerally very creepy. Like, it's a it's a, it's a silly kind of character, but it's also, like, he is really creepy in it. And then the other guy is just sort of, like, an innocent, nice man. Yes. Like, so it's, like, you've definitely got, like, the full gamut of, uh, <laughs> of Fassbender performance. <laughs> well, and in that scene um, with the flute stuff, he's... David, the creepy one, is talking about how talking about creation again tying into this whole thematic thing and they're discussing updates to the robotic programming yeah that have happened over the course of time since david was made obsolete because he was too creepy and proactive and basically the new models can are more nice and helpful but don't have any originality or their own ideas or whatever and they're discussing this and you literally can see as they cut back and forth david fassbender's eyes are more sort of alert than the other guys i mean i don't understand it was just it's such a great performance and also even his his physicality like obviously there are a lot of actors who've played robots and there's a lot of really impressive robot performances out there. But I'm still impressed when someone's good at it. And, you know, yeah. there's, there's scenes where he has superhuman strength or he kind of leaps or lands from a jump in a really weird way. And it does look like so much better than most movies where you have someone who's meant to be superhumanly strong because they're just on a wire or whatever. And obviously Fastbender is presumably also on a wire. But he has done something with his body that makes him look like a super strong android. Yeah, I never once thought about the wire thing until you mentioned it, even no. though, like, obviously that's yeah. how they're doing it. Yeah. Like, it was so well pulled off that it just didn't cross my mind. But you do have this perfect marriage between, like, good dialogue in a weird way, right? And a really good performance and just, like, sheer batshit insanity in the context of the other Alien movies as well, right? Because obviously Ridley Scott is not involved in the middle ones of the franchise or whatever, but it's impossible to tell how much he's like consciously aware of what's happening here because the original alien there's so much sexual imagery like all of the 
designs by Geiger of the alien and so forth. Like it's all very phallic. And in this one, you know, you have the there's like a very kind of vaginal alien chest face hugger thing. There's a lot of genital imagery, right? And also all the stuff where it's aliens penetrating people's mouths and like bursting out of their bodies and impregnating people and stuff. But like all of the stuff in this film that was to do with the aliens in that context was just like really bad, right? So it's like it wasn't <laughs> effective because all stuff that was recycled from previous movies in the franchise. And it also didn't have that same level of unsettlingness, partly because we've already seen it before and partly because it was just filmed badly, right? And it was yeah. like all the sexual stuff is like being transferred over to Fassbender. But like, I, I don't know if Ridley Scott is like fully aware of what he's made. I think it's just like, is it possible that he like doesn't... It know? strikes me that he that it's very, very possible this is a complete death of the author situation. And what you're saying is really fascinating as um, a sort of microcosm of what has broadly happened with the movie, right? Which is that Fastbender has become the locus of everything that is good about this film. Like, it's just all condensed down into him, and then the rest of it is just shit. And yet, I mean, it's hard to say, like, whether to recommend this movie, right? Because if you are of a certain, if you have a certain attitude towards movies and art and blockbusters, you will definitely, definitely like this. And if you have a different approach, you would not enjoy it at all. I had a great time, but I can objectively look at it and say, okay, you know, 70% of this movie was total garbage. I mean, the, the alien part is weird, right? Because Prometheus kind of visually looked good. And the whole concept behind it was just, like, bankrupt. And also there was some, like, quite offensive sexist stuff going on in there as well. Um, but this one, I think the alien kind of plot with Catherine Watson and the crew was slightly better. It was just extremely derivative. And it's like, when you're watching a film by someone who's such, like, a kind of a cinematic brand as Ridley Scott, even though I know he's actually quite unreliable as a director... Why would he make something so derivative? You know, I, mean, I saw an interview where he said that he'd listened to, like, he was he was affected when making this film by the criticism of the first Prometheus movie, and I was like, really interesting. I wonder what he got from the criticism of the first movie. And I read on, and what he got from it is that people were disappointed because they didn't see enough of the alien. <sighs> like that—that's not. I mean, that's not a. I mean, maybe some people did. I don't know. Like, I wasn't looking at like alien forums, but that <laughs> is not like a criticism that you should be looking at as a filmmaker. That's like a branding problem, and it's also not a problem with any alien movie because the purpose of the film is suspense. <laughs> yes. And then in this film, as we were discussing before we recorded the podcast, the CGI aliens in this are like not good, right? Because in the in the Prometheus, they were they looked fantastic, and in this one, for some reason, they did. They didn't look real and they looked like something from like the mid 2000s in some way. Like the redesign of the aliens in this one were kind of fetus aliens and they just weren't convincing or scary. And I'm yeah. frightened. It was very weird. So everyone who knows anything about movies knows that image of the thing coming out of John Hurt's chest in Alien. I only saw that movie less than a week ago, and I know that iconic image. It's everywhere. And for this one, they redesigned that to be a miniature alien. And it yeah, looks it's like a little so spindly. right. It looks so dumb and so fake. And I found myself thinking, 
throughout the movie about a bunch of different elements of it, and this was one of them, that having just seen the first one for the first time, which if you haven't seen it, you should, because it's incredible, how much blockbusters have changed in the past 40-something years, and how much all of those changes have negatively impacted the viewing experience and this discussion over practical versus you know digital visual effects has been had over and over and over again and I think people can sometimes get kind of high and mighty about it in a way that's not productive but in this case it really was obvious how much of a problem it is so when you watch the original alien it's obviously a guy in an alien suit who's playing the alien like you don't except it's only obvious when you think about it because when you're watching it it literally is just an alien right right i mean there there are some shots like of the hands where you it's you know it's clear that it's fake but they don't as you were just saying about not seeing it it's not like you have all these extended you know close-ups of the alien it's obscured enough that you're not lingering on the fact that this is this fake thing it's just um this terrifying threat that you see enough that you do know what it looks like as opposed to some horror movies where the monster is just totally kept off screen but that is so much more effective than what they do in this movie which is have cgi renderings of the alien all over the place that never look real at all and even if you you know consciously know that the cgi isn't real sometimes it can be done in a way that still has that effect but oftentimes it doesn't and in this case there's one scene in particular where one of the like random women who doesn't have a fucking name gets killed where i was just like that is not happening <laughs> that is also like pixels, i'm not anti you know. cgi right and also like a lot like the bulk of this film will be cgi right because it's like the landscapes and stuff and the kind of background clearly you know it must be computer generated it looks yeah. wonderful right uh, and it's just specifically that they shot the aliens in a bad way right so it's like they either should have used practical effects or they should have just you know made it better which is a t which is a bad criticism like it's not a helpful criticism but they're poorly executed and also there's just like there's just several like extensive scenes where you're just focusing on the alien and there's no kind of emotional impact to just pointing a camera at like a gross looking CGI monster. Like it's not effective in the same way that the other alien movies are effective. It's not doing anything. Like the the only alien scene in that movie where I was just like, this is good, was a scene where David is face to face with one of his alien children, who's kind of like a tall eyeless faceless xenomorph and he sort of gently blows on its face <laughs> and he kind of explains to this terrified human nearby that if you breathe in the nostrils of a horse it will trust you forever and i'm just like well i'm not a horse expert but that definitely sounds like garbage and also what an incredible line to manage to get into this film <laughs> it's so fucking weird like every aspect of that character is so intensely floridly strange <laughs> And it's like it kind of sucked the personality from everyone else. Like, I don't, I don't get it. It just, it's fascinating. Because, um, like I said earlier, like with these kind of supporting cast members, the original Alien is so naturalistic, like the original film. The cast of that film are introduced really slowly with very little dialogue, but you have a really good gauge of their personalities and their roles on board the ship. Because, you know, you have this really long 
sequence of just like watching them at work and it's it's like watching you know an art film it's like watching an indie movie because it's not in that blockbuster category and in this one you have like 12 characters most of whom you like never know on a personal basis and like a lot of them just have like a stock character element so like the one that you know is going to survive is the one named Tennessee who has a cowboy hat and is really loud because like he's gimmicky so it's like well obviously he's a main character and a lot of the others like I actually couldn't keep track of how many there were obviously that's like just bad because you don't care if they die or not but it's like they don't have necessary roles and when there's characters in a movie that are just there as cannon fodder like as red shirts don't put them in the film you know you can make the same movie with six characters and actually give us time to know who they are and when we when they did give us information about it it was just like it's so basic you know it's like the only person who had an interesting concept behind them was Billy Crudup's character, the captain, who was really anxious, partly because he's religious and he felt that there was like a bias against religious people. So he was like overcompensating by being too rational and therefore seeming too cold to his crew, which is an interesting concept that ties into like the very poorly conceived religious um, creationism background of the films that Ridley Scott is now making. But like no one else had a concept and also that basically was abandoned like halfway through the film. Like they just kind of forgot about that and all the creation stuff was just like shifted over to David's weird reproduction storyline, <laughs> which obviously I was enjoying tremendously. But like, who are these people? It's just it's someone yelling, oh no, my wife's dead. It's like, who's your wife? I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Well, they also cast a bunch of absolute nobodies, which if you find really talented nobodies is perfectly fine as many people have articulated in many think pieces, the value of star power is rapidly declining, but clearly they had just cast nobodies who didn't cost very much because they needed to save money and then killed them off within five minutes. And so it was all of these sort of generically pretty people who then rapidly died along with And also a like few most of names. them were white and they didn't have like distinguishing features. So there were like, who are they? <laughs> there were a few non-white people. Yeah, but there were. Like, it wasn't. Damien it wasn't Bashir like, yeah. was in it and died quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you just think, wh- what is the point of this? This doesn't make sense. We're not invested in any of these people. Even the Billy Crudup stuff, I found to be very poorly written. I thought he did a good. I job. I mean, it was it was heavy-handed, but his performance was definitely like the standout, apart from. Michael Fassbender. Yes. Um, Whereas Catherine Watterson, who she was doing a lot of completely serviceable reaction acting because she's, you know, a horror character. So she's doing a lot of being terrified. But her character didn't have any personality traits and was just like so uninteresting. So I didn't care. I was just like, I don't, I'm just not bothered. (laughs) She was really sad about the death of her boyfriend, James Franco. Yeah. How did James Franco wind up in a video in this film? saying hi to his girlfriend, Catherine Watterson. Who does he know? I was so baffled. This distracted me at the beginning of the movie. It's really weird. Well, he was in all the marketing and stuff, so I think it was sort of like a fake-out thing, like with the last film's extensive marketing, where it was like, you're meant to think that James Franco is in the movie, but then they kill him off. But it's like, you literally don't see him in the movie, so it doesn't work as well. Also, I did not see any of that marketing. So no, obviously, it's it was, like most people are not going to. You know? But yeah. I was just really confused because I don't think he's done anything with Ridley Scott. And so I don't know how he wound up in this, but it was really, it was just a strange vision from a different part of the culture of yeah. James Franco in this movie. But yeah, there were just so many people that then 
when they start getting picked off, there's no sense of consequence or threat, right? So And also, so one of the key things that people were really critical of structurally in the, in Prometheus is that all of the characters are meant to be like scientists and stuff and they're acting like fucking idiots, right? So in Alien, the characters work basically they're truckers and they have no expertise beyond blue-collar jobs. And they have kind of containment procedures that they follow. Um, there are kind of like emergency stuff that they don't remember very well. And it makes sense internally. Whereas in Prometheus, they're meant to be like really smart scientist exploration types and they do everything wrong. And people were like, this is a really bad way to write a horror movie because everyone just seems like they deserve to die. And then watching this one, it was literally the same thing over again. Because even like some of them are experts. All of them know that they're in a place of serious danger. Like they're going down to what they think is an uninhabited planet and they're still like, they're really heavily armed with giant machine guns and stuff. But like they don't, they were just like sitting there like inhaling deadly spores all over the place. And it's just like, you all deserve to die. And then they all instantly split up into separate groups. And it's like, well, our radios aren't working because of the storm, but I guess we should just like split up into 10 groups and go inhale some deadly spores. Like, fuck off, just die. You don't deserve any of this. Uh, uh, yes, I agree. The married thing was also telling, I think. Because in Alien, one of the refreshing things is that there's no romance at all. Yeah. And in this, everyone is married to someone. But, like, in a really impersonal way. Because, like, right. I mean, it's based on the idea of, like, all co- the colony would be populated by married couples who will then raise the embryos, right? Right. But, but yeah. Who, why? Who cares? It does. Yeah. It's just really, it's really strange and poorly thought out because it's like. Like, you don't have to be in a couple to, like, raise a child. Um, and and like, they're the crew. And they're right? the crew. So, who cares? Yeah, it's it's Just... a really weird concept. Kind of like a less offensive sequel to the stuff in Prometheus where, like, the main character's chief conflict was that she was infertile. And then she gets impregnated by an alien baby and has to abort, self-abort with, like, a horrible surgical procedure. And it's like, this is the opposite of the, like thematic sexual weirdness of the other alien movies and the chestbusters and stuff like you can't literally just have someone like giving themselves an abortion like you just no that's no (laughs) there has to be a kind of a metaphorical allegorical point of remove from the concept like for example having michael fassbender play the flute to himself that's that's the part that was good (laughs) and how and how oh my god i can't it was oh, I was I was overcome when I came out of the theater. It was too much. The whole the whole situation. the The rest of the movie was so stupid. The ending is literally just a rehash of the ending of Alien, but stupid and bad. And yet I left the theater and was like, "What a great experience I just had." That was transcendent. It was also just I love like it. really. <laughs> I felt so suckered in as well because like the last 15 minutes of the movie you see the two fastbenders fighting and then they don't cut back to which one won and I'm like well obviously David won and he's going to take the identity of the other one like as soon as you have two identical robots in the movie you know that's what's going to happen and then like the final shot of the film is the revelation that David's the one who's on the ship and he's like now got this huge ship full of alien fetuses to experiment on. You've definitely suckered me into watching the sequel because, oh my god, am I going to watch a movie about David flying around in a spaceship full of babies, listening to Wagner. He goes into, like, the giant room where they store all the little embryo blobs. I'm like, 
he makes the computer play Wagner for him. So he's like, put in, you know, the gods enter Valhalla. And then he strides in and like regurgitates little blobs out of his mouth, which have alien embryos in it and puts them into the drawers with all the human embryos. And it's like, out of his mouth. <laughs> Brilliant. This is, this is what I signed up for. And if the next film is not oh. a good 50% David just doing stuff like regurgitating embryos, then fuck off, you know? <laughs> well, we're on a positive trajectory, right? Because the first one had whatever quotient of Michael Fassbender, and then clearly some producer watched it and was like, how can we improve this? What if we just have him twice, and then have him in scenes talking to himself, which are the best scenes of the movie? Because he's the best actor in the movie. So if we continue on that upward path, then presumably the next one will just be him doing something, experimenting, talking to several versions of himself. I'm on board. Just whatever. Do so- anything of that nature. We don't need other actors. It's fine. He can just develop a weird relationship like, with the computer that runs the spaceship, which in the Alien franchise is referred to as Mother, which is a wonderful detail that I love. Yeah, I yeah, great, done, green light it. I am on board. Sounds sounds fantastic. <laughs> what an experience. He really yeah. does know how to pick them with the blockbusters. Between. Yeah, he's had a really great year. I mean, within six months of Assassin's Creed, a film that we both also adored. Yep. And this, and then he, for his su- superhero franchise, he picked X-Men, which is clearly the best mm. superhero franchise to be in because it's just bullshit. Yeah. So, good times. It's all great. Um, all right. So I think you probably have a gauge, if you've not already seen Alien Covenant, what you have to expect. Um, you know we'd recommend the parts of this film that have Michael Fassbender you've obviously been very spoiled Um, so uh, next week we are going to be covering something rather different we're going to be talking about um, the Starz series American Gods um, which I've been recapping at the Daily Dot and it's by Brian Fuller and Michael Green Brian Fuller obviously of Hannibal my favourite TV show of all time and a true masterpiece and uh, written by Neil Gaiman and yeah, it's like it's been really interesting so far. Like I would say I'm not um particularly emotionally invested in the same way that I was with Brian Fuller's previous work, but also rereading the book, I was not emotionally invested in that either. But it is like a very cool show. Um and there's a lot of interesting kind of mythology stuff going on in there. So we will be discussing the first four episodes next week. So come back and listen to that. Thank you as always for listening this week. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review on iTunes. That's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on Twitter at OverinvestedPod, on Tumblr at OverinvestedPodcast, or on our website, OverinvestedPodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.